We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike. No Darius, but he'll be back for tomorrow's episode. And last night, the Lakers lost a game that was mostly garbage time. No LeBron, no AD. He's uh, still out, hopes for later in the week, but we shall see. And Luka Doncic uh, made quick work of the Lakers, had 17-5-5, I think, in the first quarter, and that game was over about five, six minutes into it and was a ton of garbage time. Mike, I don't think we need to spend an entire pod kind of rehashing all of the reasons that that game went the way that it did because we'd be repeating ourselves of multiple other games. But we did end the night outside of the play-in tournament. Malik Monk made comments about, you know, we got to play harder. Stanley Johnson was like, hell no, we're not quitting. We signed a contract to play with the Lakers. It's part of the reason I'm so fond of him. But my eyes see what they see. And the Lakers don't have a ton of fight in them in the first place. And I thought Luka took that out of them pretty quickly last night. What was your vantage point from last night's game? Yeah, no, they they came in with the proper energy, I thought, to start the game. They they just Luka just completely crushed the hope right away. And it's in contrast to the Philly game when they didn't have LeBron and AD. And and look, man, 95 percent of the time you don't you don't have your two best players. You're losing. Right. Period. In the NBA, there are the exceptions where I remember like the Lakers were in OKC a couple of years ago when the, the year that they won the title and, and nobody played. But it was the guys. It was good team feeling. The other team wasn't particularly good. And it was just like a rally around the flag. Oh, I, it's my night, you know, to sort of show that I can be valued to this team. So that can happen on good teams like Phoenix this year. Right. If they've had a couple of games where they've missed guys and they've carried that spirit forward. But most of the time, what happens is what happened in Dallas. And. I think the game plan early was was to try and contain Lucas some on the screen rolls, and he just destroyed that. He scored three straight times himself and threw two alley-oops to Dwight Powell. And so it was like, boom, you know, 10 to, I think it was 10 to 4. And then, so they switched that coverage, and Lucas does isolation step-back threes, drills both. Right. And yeah. then, right, then they start to trap Luka, and Dallas converts three straight wide open threes. So I think at that point, the, the Lakers, knowing what the talent deficit was, 
it was just sort of like, well, <laughs> we, we tried all three of those things. And from that point on, it was a relatively close to a 20 to 30 point margin for the rest of the game. So, yeah, there I didn't. It's one of those people where you sit down for post game and I'm trying to think of what to ask Vogel and the players. Oh, you know? I bet. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, there's not a lot to, as you said, there's not a lot to add on to stuff that we haven't seen before. But the most cogent point, I think, was just a simple one by Malik Monk, where I, I asked him about the 36 different starting lineups. And he said, yeah, we just don't have any rhythm as a team together. And I think that's one thing that sums it up. But that combined with the talent deficit last night was, of course, way too much to overcome. Yeah, it was really noticeable, you know, the the differential there. And that said, before the game, Vogel was like, we need to treat every game from here on out as a, a playoff game. And while I understand that, you know, Luca picked us apart at the beginning of that, and I would say that I'll live with the step back threes with a hand in his face and like great players are going to make that shot sometimes. And maybe he makes that the whole night and gives us 50 on those. But of all of the choices, whether it's a, a trap that because we can't really rotate that well, especially this with this personnel, that's going to be an open corner three for somebody most likely. Like I'll take the Luca step back over all of the other options, the lobs to Dwight Powell and all of that. But very much a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation. But with Malik's comments, that that's kind of what we were talking about the other day was like, I, I don't know who our starting lineup is. Like if we have everybody healthy, quote unquote, I don't know who fills the other two spots. There are a couple of guesses and I think we have a better idea of who those candidates are. But with six or seven games left, I've been so struck, Mike, by our inability to get any momentum, to get you know, and and maybe maybe it's Friday. The season starts Friday when Anthony Davis comes back. I'm saying this with my tongue very much in cheek, right? But I don't think I've I can remember a season like this, Mike, where we're this deep into the season and we're like, we don't even know the guys that we're going to play at, and when they play and all of that. It just speaks to just a really just an unprecedented season. Well, that's also a function of the injuries, and it's a function of when you can't even have your your best couple of players out there as the consistent pair, then how do you know which guys to pair around them? Because if you pull AD out, there's so many, you need three guys to fill all the holes that he, that he leaves. And if you pull Mm -hmm. LeBron out, you need three guys to try and approximate all the things that he does. And you know, Russ has Russ has at times like Russ could take the usage to an extent, which he did yesterday. And Russ actually scored the ball decently well yesterday. He shot the ball. Well, Again, for him, he got to the free throw line and made all of his free throws, right? But it, it's not, you know, it's not telling you something that's about who you should pair next to him. Like Malik no. Monk, and it was all garbage time too, you know? Right, exactly. So, so like Malik Monk went off, right? He hit a bunch of shots, especially in the third quarter, and he got 28 points. But again, the Lakers were down by 25 to 30, and Dallas was, Dallas was playing some relaxed defense. So uh, I, I'll just return to... To answer that question, though, as to like what the Lakers lineup should be, I still think that you want to try to get as close to you can as what we've seen work for sure around LeBron and AD. And to me, despite all of our offseason discussions, that still remains more D than three. And I think that the the desire to become a better shooting team and the desire to have more playmaking and those things has has just left the Lakers much more bare in the spot where they actually were consistent the last few years, which is on defense. And so mm-hmm. that's where I'm looking at the roster. And even if he's not shooting well, I'm taking Stanley, you know, I'm taking Austin and I'm taking, you know, at this point of the season that those are the, those are two guys 
and those fit next to Russ, AD, and LeBron. And and then off the bench, you know, you can we can manipulate that unit however you want. But like Malik, for example, the shooting that he brings, that's fine. I, he can come in off the bench and shoot well in space in those in certain lineups like that. But I'm still trying to plug in the guys that have shown their ability to play hard, to do little things, and to play defense around LeBron, AD, and Russ. For sure. I suppose I'm. that's more me lamenting the circumstances of the season. And, and I think it also speaks to a we couple of other things. We may not have seen that lineup yet, <laughs> by the way. So yeah, exactly. you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> exactly. yeah. that, maybe not that's like, the 37th lineup, Mike. That'll yeah. be our 37th starting lineup this season. Yeah, yeah. so you're right. Yeah, it's not. And, and I suppose what I'm lamenting isn't just totally like, ah, oh, we had injuries, such bad luck. You referenced that OKC game last season where both LeBron and AD were out and we were on the road and Kuz stepped up. Rondo was great in that game. And I think part of that and part of what we have lost that we haven't discussed that much is when I watch these games this season, especially during this post all-star break stretch where there's very much a, we're just playing out the string energy. And then we had that little blip and it was like, Oh, are they? And then, and maybe they get that back. Who knows? Um, but there seems to be a very, there doesn't seem to be much of a sense of we with this team. And what I mean by that is, in our previous two seasons, you had guys that had played together for years and years and years. And I think that there's a, a sense of brotherhood and camaraderie that comes with that, where it's not just a group of mercenaries, right, that came from other teams, which, I mean, that's the nature of the NBA and always going to be the nature of the Lakers. There's going to be some degree of turnover every year. But not having – like, who are the guys that have played together on this current team with any degree of uh, you know, like who are the guys that have played together to to any significant degree you've got lebron and anthony davis tht has been a rotation player for a year for two years now this season and last season um but again that's anthony davis was out like you can only find maybe three or four combinations of players that like those guys have history together and that's something mike that i think that people don't realize both in basketball and team sports in general is you get an additional benefit with that continuity as well that, oh, I know that you're going to cut in this circumstance or if I do this, you're going to do that. I used to have my squad you know, when I was in high school. My, it was me, Bruce, Raymond, Brad, and who's the fifth? The fifth guy was usually a, a rotating guy. And we'd always we'd go to Dominic Masari Park in Palmdale and we'd hold the court for a few times, not because we were particularly good, but we played together all the time over the course of summers. You know what I mean? And, and so there's a certain and you see this around the league in some of the very best teams is we traded a lot of that continuity away or let it go in ways that I think that allow for these that that allow that make us much weaker even beyond the talent in all of these circumstances Mike where we have to adjust on the fly because we have nothing to adjust to we have nothing to fall back on there is no collective us or we or Lakers basketball that Frank used to talk about these last couple seasons well, first of all, you got any film from those park runs that I could break down? I, I, I do not. Sadly, this was pre-film, uh, pre-cell phone. I'm an old man now, brutal. and uh, yeah, well, I was a spot up, spot up uh, ball mover. You know? Yeah. Well, all right. We'll put we'll put that aside for now, and let's do this. I've got an answer for you, Pete, to that question, and it's I'm going to channel Darius into a yes and no. Let's let's do that after the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, first the yes part. The team that I think of first when you talk about continuity and knowing each other and value of that is perhaps the greatest soccer team of all time, the FC Barcelona squad from kind of like the middle 2000s. You know, it started all of these kids and they were kids when they started playing together. And it was Messi, it was PK and, and David Villa and Xavi and Iniesta this incredible group that that we would then we now think of as individual stars to some extent, but they literally grew up in La Masia. And not only did they play there together, but most of them. What, take what is that? I'm a soccer novice, Mike. So you're going to have to fill me in on some yeah. of these so, uh, these terms. So La Masia is the is the actual school um, for Barcelona youth. So it's it's a little different. Got so it. it's like instead of going to high school, right, they they actually educate the kids at um, La Masia and they pull them in like when they're, you know, anywhere from. From some of them, when they're as young as 10, 11 years old, Messi came over from Argentina when he was 12 or 13. And so they they train all day together. They play games as the youth team, and then they go wow. up through the ranks. So this is the way that soccer works basically worldwide. And it's starting to get there, in fact, in the MLS. The MLS teams like LA Galaxy, LAFC, they have academies now. They just pulled a kid Very out cool. of out of the club team that like my kids are playing at. Um, shout out to Sand and Surf. Like, so they're... There are this is the way that things are going now. But these guys all got together. And by the time they all made it to the professional ranks, Pete, it was just like poetry out there because they knew each other so well and they they could anticipate movement. And, and it sort of that that connectivity raised all of their skill level as well, because, you know, when you know where your teammates going to be, it can be that much prettier now. So that's the one side. And, and I think you can point to other examples of continuity in time like the 90s bulls to an extent even though they had to they had to switch some of the core for the second run but here's now the flip side of that and it's the 2019 20 lakers that won the title and that had very very little continuity uh, to start that season now there were a couple of guys that had been there but but you know it was ad's first year right and the guys that they brought a lot of guys in as free agents um so rondo had had the previous year but like it's javel Kuz was still in his at that time in his second year, you know, Caruso was in his second year. So they had at least they had some they had much more carryover from the year before. But it's still mm-hmm. it was a new team it was a new team the way that they played. it. And so there are times in the NBA, especially where you can just capture something. And if you have two, if you have leaders like LeBron, who's on it every game and he was playing defense like the first couple of weeks of that season and just doing everything. So there are times you can catch lightning in a bottle and build the chemistry on the fly and then it just keeps building and you don't have any setbacks or any major injuries. They just kind of they were able to keep layering on that. That is more of the exception, though, I think, um, in general. 
And for sure. it, it, but I, I did want to point that out that it, it does happen more often in the NBA um, when you have the requisite talent and the requisite sort of like Vogel was perfect for that too, right? For the way that he got them to play defense. So, but I, your initial point about the chemistry and the importance of it and the and guys that have been around for a while, I, I do agree with. Yeah, that's something that I hope that we place a greater degree of value on going forward. And of all the teams that deserved to stay together of of this current era, this is the one that you want to keep the fewest pieces of, right? Like relative to the other seasons, you know, they they haven't done it on the court to really justify like, let's bring the band back together. That would be kind of crazy to, to do that. But I do think that finding those little like – Wenyon and Stanley play well, and who knows if, if Wenyon's back next year, or even Stanley, right? Even though he's under, uh, there's a team option for next season. But I, I think that finding that and rebuilding that, <laughs> I tell some of my friends sometimes that like every franchise dies the death that it deserves. And I very much feel that the Lakers are dying and very close to, to dead. And I think that Part of the way out of that is you got to do that autopsy. And I think that we're going to have a lot of pods over the course of this summer and off season where we get into painstaking detail about why and what we do going forward. But I think that recapturing the value of that, um, I think it matters because even if you look at that championship season, a guy like JaVale is not like a lifetime Laker or anything like that, but he was on the team the season before. Kuz was on the team the year before. Caruso was on the team the year before. You had several guys. It was, you, we did have some roster turnover, but there's been turnover every single season the last few years, even amongst some very good teams, including one championship team that I think that has harmed us in a way that has had a gradual and progressive effect over the years. I can, yeah, I can't, I can't disagree with that. Yeah. yeah, it's there's there's no question, and we and we thought that might be a problem heading into the season when it was just LeBron and AD and THT. And that was part of why it was like, oh, the regular season this year is really important because they don't have that. They don't have something to fall back on when somebody gets hurt or goes out. And when you don't have that and there's the roster deficits and all of that, like it's really compounded on itself. That's something that I've been more and more. I've I've got this kind of ongoing list that I think we're going to have a pod one day, Mike, where the three of us and we even kick it to fans is like, what went wrong this season? What did you like about this season? Just like different, I, I think we can get into uh, sure. a whole bunch of that. But that's one of the things that's really been standing out to me lately. Well, the most simple thing too is how do you paper over some of that? And, and I think we suggested this early in the season was, well, LeBron and AD are together on the court. And they're, this, they're baseline, they're stabilizing, they're the offensive outlets. You know, they are the defensive anchors, even more so in AD's case, of course. And that didn't happen. So there's your there's your front line of the autopsy. Anthony Davis That's right. didn't play much and LeBron played less than he's almost ever played. Um take out well really I guess last year with the high ankle sprain and in the groin 2 years ago but yes that's the that's the first line of it and then there are many to follow. Yes, yeah, and we'll we'll get in, into all of it. So Pete there's another trick with continuity and it has to do with basketball fit and it has to do with fit within the coaching scheme and what that plan is at the start of the season. Mm, and, mm -hmm. and I think that if you, so the way to put this to me or the easiest way to example for this is like San Antonio, you've got the same coach there for 20 plus years and he has had different systems sometimes depending on personnel, but it's never been drastic change from one year to the next. It's usually been, okay, well, here's the way that we play to start with, with Tim Duncan coming in alongside David Robinson. And then let's let that model exist for a while. 
And then eventually, okay, Duncan's getting older. Let's now let's spend a couple of years shifting the style to Ginobili to Tony Parker. And then let's shift it even further towards Kawhi Leonard. So it's it's got to be this gradual shift. It's not just, okay, one year we're going to be this defensive anchored team and defensive focused team. And then the next year we're going to play this beautiful, beautiful symphony of extra passes because the guys have played together. This goes back to the Barcelona model, which is yeah. how the Spurs beat the Heat that last year where the it was just ping, 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 you know, wide open shot. And that has to take time. And so for, for this season, and this is where – I kind of I feel for Frank Vogel is that there was a certain system that he had in place defensively at minimum. Take the offense out. The offense, to me, again, was always fine. It was fine enough for them to win the NBA title. Um, And and it revolved a lot around LeBron James. But now you have the defensive system sort of having to shift because there aren't the type of players to execute what was going on there. And there's one. So the two types of continuity, one is with the roster, one is with the coaching staff and the coaching philosophies and plugging guys into what that is. And they are related, Pete. They, it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's wise. Coaches have certain guys that they trust, that they know, even if they're a little bit past their prime. Well, he can he can sort of by osmosis teach the new guys what we're doing here. And mm-hmm. that to me is an under discussed part of continuity. I think that's such a great point where basically we went from last season being like – and the last two seasons being like we're this big physical rim-protecting type of team that really is in line with Frank Vogel's philosophies. And I think that they tried that this year. It's just that like DeAndre Jordan and Dwight Howard are not very good at this point and uh, Kent Bazemore didn't work out. Like all of our D and 3 guys didn't – work out like the only guys that really worked out vet minimum wise were the offensive guys Malik and and Mello in particular and so that such a rapid and radical shift for the coaches not just to adjust and you know I've been I've been hard on on Vogel in terms of the lineups and schemes and we've talked about that throughout the year but your fundamental point of like going from one thing to something else overnight that's extremely difficult to do and not even the coaches that have shown a great deal of adaptability your Popovich's, your Spolstra's, not even they have had seasons where they've gone from one style of team to a completely different style of team, mind you, still having LeBron and AD, although as you said, we did not have both of them. That's just a really tough ask from a coach. And like, I love the San Antonio example in particular because players can kind of dictate, and I think that's what happened in San Antonio is that it's like, Oh, Kawhi Leonard's not a three and D guy. He's better than that. Like he's grown to where we have to feature this guy and to feature this guy, we have to kind of, we have to do things a little bit differently than we've always done them, but it's much easier to make an adjustment like that when you have such a solid foundation underneath you than to build the foundation in the first place. And in some ways, I think that this season is helpful in both the destruction and the beginning of the building of the foundation of the next Lakers era. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, we're going to talk about there's been a lot of changes out west. And so we're going to talk about the Western Conference playoff picture. So Mike, we've got a surging Dallas Mavericks, a humorously collapsing Utah Jazz team that it has a chance to be in the play, and I and I really want that for you, Mike. I really want them to collapse and be in the plan uh, for for your happiness as much as anyone. Got oh, Paul oh, George coming oh, back. Oh, no. I love doing this to you. I love I love the faces you make. The this fucking guy. Like, don't put any words into my mouth now. I I simply I said early in the season that I didn't think that Utah in the West or Chicago in the East were as right. good um, as they were discussed being. And, and that is all. I take no pleasure 
uh, in any in any st- officially, I take no pleasure <laughs> in anything like that. And certainly, as somebody whose life is is made better by the Lakers winning, I'm not out here talking a bunch of, uh, of of smack about what my predictions are for other teams around the league. But um, thank you for for putting that out there, nonetheless. I'm sure you know Darius and Harrison and such will be happy with that. But anyway, uh, go ahead. <laughs> Well, talk to me about what you see out West, man. We got a lot of changes in the Western Conference standings and just kind of how things project. We've only got a few games until the playoffs. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, there's one thing that hasn't changed that's very steady, and that's that Phoenix is the best team. And Mm -hmm. they have been creating the type of separation between themselves. And even a Memphis Grizzlies team that is red hot is playing great, has won nine of ten and five in a row. Well, they're still eight and a half back of Phoenix. Like, that's how Phoenix has been dominant in the way that – the first team that I covered for the Lakers, the 08-09 team was the 65-win team. You know, Breezing and, through the season and just, yeah. Yeah, and just in any time, you know, every game is is a chance to prove themselves, right? There's just their, the swagger and the confidence and, and all that. So that's, they're obviously the team to beat there. But Golden State has fallen off for very similar reasons that the Lakers did. And that first, it was Draymond Green. Because they started, what were they, like 18 and 2, something like that, 19 yeah. and 2? First yeah. it was Draymond. And, and I, by the way, I would have picked them the way both teams were playing early in the season. I would have picked them to beat Phoenix because of that trust in Steph and, and the opportunity that they were going to have to get Clay back and all that kind of stuff. But now it's hard to think of Golden State as anything other than an afterthought because Steph isn't even going to play for you know for in, until he comes back from his most recent injury. And so it's, it's difficult there. Now Dallas is going to pass Golden State. You know, Dallas is only a game back right now. Golden State has lost three in a row. Dallas is cruising. They've got this nice mix of chemistry right now and Luka playing at his absolute best. And so you already mentioned Utah. We don't have to spend too much time on them. They've lost five games in a row and just blew a 25-point mm-hmm. second half lead to the Clippers. And then you have Denver and Minnesota kind of fighting out to not be in that last play in space, which, as you mentioned, could end up being Utah. But the team that's of interest to me in the context of the Lakers here is the Clippers. because. The Clippers had finally run into the wall. Uh, they had been they had been a team that had been exceeding what their talent was almost all season, Pete, based on some of those concepts we talked about in the last segment. Continuity. Yep. Continuity of system. Vets. You know, uh, having guys in the 12-13 spot that could play, that could come in and, and just win them games. And some guys playing over their heads, some guys enjoying the additional touches they were getting, like a Reggie Jackson. So all of those and other teams not necessarily focusing on them as one of the best teams in the league when they would play against them and and not necessarily giving them their best game. So they used all of that to basically stay above 500 until they lost five in a row. And it, it just wasn't working anymore. And then Paul George came back and it looked like it wasn't working again because him coming back and them trying to figure out how to feature a star made things clunky. And it wasn't how they were winning games. And Utah was more up for them since George was there. And then all of a sudden it just clicked, you know, and George was terrific and he looked healed and he's, I think he had five steals, right? He's burying threes. He's finishing at the rim and he's really looking like an all-star player. And so the Clippers are, they're the team that's just like Phoenix locked into where they're at. They are going to be the eight seed, right? The, The Wolves are six games ahead of them in the loss column. The Pelicans are four games behind them in the loss column. So they're going to be the eight seed. And all of a sudden now, Denver and Minnesota are like, well, wait a second. You know, this is now the Clippers adding 
Paul George, and and I still don't think Kawhi is going to come back, but that's you know we'll see. I guess in theory, sure. you've you've heard some mumblings. I know Bill Simmons mentioned it the other day, and he's obviously close to some people there. So, but from the Lakers' context, the Lakers are now battling with San Antonio essentially just to be the ten, and just for the right to go to New Orleans. That of course that could switch if New Orleans drops off a little bit, but the road that seemed the easiest path for the Lakers to get to the playoff speed has now is now going to have to go through a team that is going to be better than the one that could have been just the Clippers without Paul George at home and at home as in it would have been a Clipper home game, but I, I don't think that would have been the type of home court advantage, right? That the Lakers would have seen were it to be Minnesota or Denver, if they lose that initial game, which I would have picked them to to Minnesota and Denver. And now that just changes a little bit. And that makes that second play in game. If the Lakers can get there that much more difficult. So I, I just think it's significant and worth noting that the path has gotten increasingly more difficult for the Lakers to get to the eight seed. Yeah. That's been kind of the story of the season, right? Is that we've continued to kind of slide down the standings and be like, Oh, this is the group of teams that we're, that are on our radar now. And like, Nope, let's move that down a seat or two. And now we're in that 11 spot and not in the plan at all. Yeah. I mean, it, it's gotten tougher. We've known that it's going to be tough and there are, we talked about it a little bit yesterday, but that report, you know, a couple of weeks ago that a couple of players, staff people were like, ah, this is all going to be over in a month anyway. Kind of this like checked out mentality. I, I worry about that, right? The harder that it gets, the easier it is consciously or more likely subconsciously to just be like, yeah, we're just going to wrap it up. And I think that what we were saying earlier about that lack of we, that, you know, that FC Barcelona group that you were talking about, when you're down 3-2 in a series or when you're when you're down in a circumstance and you look over and you've been playing with that dude that's next to you for years and then the guy on the other side, a couple years more than that, there's a certain degree of we to that. There's a certain degree of like, this is a tall mountain to climb and we're going to climb it, damn it, that I just don't see from the Lakers. That's To me, that is what's most disappointing about a game like yesterday where it's like, of course, we're overmatched talent wise. Of course, like Luca's a monster and can can t- steal your soul very quickly. But there's been such a pervasive like lack of fight. And there's been so much of like what Monk said after in the, the press conference of the like, we got to play harder, man, that I'm the harder that it gets the external circumstances, the more skeptical that I am, even when AD comes back, that will be up to the challenge just from a life and spirit type of way, rather than a let's pack it in and, you know, call it a year. We'll get them next year type mentality. Well, there are certain circumstances, though, where the lack of belief comes from a real place. And of course. And so I don't the game when LeBron and AD don't play and the other team's good. Like I, that just is what it is. I I don't like the game at home against Philly. Sure. That was great. It, it It's absolutely unsustainable to stay in games and make them super competitive when like when the there's real reason that the belief isn't there. And and so I look, should they lose by 20 instead of 30? Sure. Like you, you can make up that difference, I guess, just by complete insane effort the whole time. But it's a it's a there's just a big, big difference in a big gap in basketball talent and ability and, and belief and all those things. So I'm, that's not the thing that I'm so much harping on as in like when LeBron's on the floor and, and there were times, right. A couple of weeks ago 
after AD got hurt where LeBron was out there and there still wasn't there still wasn't that like those to me are the games that are less excusable um, where there is that North Star, at least on the floor, that stabilizing presence and the guy who can go and get 30 regardless. So I don't know, man, it's a it's not <laughs> yeah. easy to watch those games, but it's like are LeBron and Anthony Davis going to play in Utah, a Utah team that is now. So the Lakers, what I think their odds of winning that game regardless of well not regardless of if lebron and ad play but if they don't play regard the chance to keep that game competitive got much harder when utah blew oh, yeah. a 25 point halftime lead uh, to the clippers or i guess third quarter lead right so and if lebron and ad do play that is one team that the lakers have played well against this year and that's the team that they just beat when anthony davis went down but that also means it's going to be harder. And so then you're in the second night of a back-to-back against New Orleans, right? A team that just came back on you by 20 points in the second half. And that should give the Lakers the sort of mental advantage in that. But what about LeBron and AD? So it's just, we're all, all year, Pete, we've had questions. And the lineups is, is part of that. And there's so many different elements to it. But that's not where you want to be, right? At this no. point of the season, you want to have the answers. And if if your squad is not good enough, then that's the part that you can live with. But, you know, you're still yes. going to play hard and, you know, you're yes. going to go out there. But this team just for multiple reasons, some in their control, some not doesn't know what it is. And yeah, the mountain is very high to to try and climb over. Yeah, like you you better know what your game plan is and uh, and what your. You better know the crew that you've got next to you and the plan of climbing up that mountain, especially when it's that big. And we're neither of those things. And I think that the habits that you build up throughout the course of the season are, they really shine through when your main guys are out. I remember when LeBron and AD were out last year, we won like 40, 35, 40% of our games during that, that period of time, in part because our third superstar was our defense. And you also had guys that had played together and that there was that continuity and there were habits built up that this team just doesn't have. And it is what it is. Those, those habits will not be built at this point of the season but through the uh through the in my opinion absurdities of the play-in tournament where they are the lakers still have a chance for the playoffs and and so we'll see we'll see we've got anthony davis coming back soon and they'll certainly have the talent on the floor but yeah the mountain's gotten probably impossibly high at this point and if you were if you were looking you probably know this already but if you were looking for the most recent anthony davis update it's just that he did do a full a full practice and, and some scrimmaging the foot was a little bit sore the next day as expected. And so by the time that we do our pod tomorrow, we'll see how the, we'll see how the foot responded today. And we'll have kind of a further update on that. But, you know, it's it is it is a positive development, but it's not it's not like 100 percent. You know, he's back right. he went through the full scrimmage. Everything's great. Like they still have to work out some of that soreness. Thank you for for clarifying that. Yeah, there might not be a, a point to it. I'm very curious to see how they approach that, uh, depending on how these next couple of games go. All right, we'll be back uh, tomorrow. Darius will be back as well. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Final 
Okay. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.